BridgeBank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to those committed to leveraging innovation to make the world a better place. BridgeBank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. BridgeBank. Be bold. Venture wisely. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Mina Kim. Coming up on Forum, America's collective student loan debt totals more than one and a half trillion dollars a record figure that's higher than the nation's collective credit card debt. President Biden is weighing proposals to cancel some of that debt. We'll look at the impact of both carrying that burden and the effect the pause on federal payments since March 2020 has had. And we'd like to hear from you. How has education debt affected your life? What choices have you made because of your student loans? Join us. Welcome to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. In the wake of the horrific massacre of 19 children and two teachers in Uvalde, Texas, State Attorney General Rob Bonta issued this statement. In California, we refuse to accept the current norm. We will continue to call on our federal leaders and neighboring states to do more because our nation's current standard for preventing gun violence is unacceptable. Our children should not suffer this burden. Lockdown drills, metal detectors, and schools that look like prisons are not the answer. Tomorrow on Forum, as we grieve the lives lost, we'll also look at the profound toll on those who survive mass shootings, the children who witness them, their families, and their communities. Tomorrow, we will also mark one year since the mass shooting at a transit center in San Jose killed nine people. So, We invite you to join this conversation and to let us know ahead of the show, how has our nation's gun violence epidemic affected you, either directly or indirectly? You can leave a voicemail at 415-553-3300. That's 415-553-3300. Or you can email forum at kqed.org. We turn now to today's topic of student debt. $1.7 trillion is the estimated aggregate total of student loan debt in the United States. That debt is shared by more than 43 million Americans. And for the past two years, the pandemic pause on federal student loan payments has given some of them the chance to see what life and their budgets are like without that monthly payment burden. Now, amid a national debate on student loan cancellation and with President Biden poised to make an announcement about it, we hear how student loans have affected you. 
Before the show, we ask listeners to complete the sentence, my student loans are, and here are some of your answers. My student loans are overwhelming. My student loans are a mistake. My student loans are paid off, but it took 17 years. No big vacations or fancy cars. Joining me now, Kristen McGuire, the executive director of Young Invincibles, a nonprofit dedicated to expanding economic opportunity for young adults. Welcome, Kristen McGuire, to Forum. Good morning. Thank you for having me. I'm really glad to have you. And I understand you have student loan debt, so tell us about it. Oh, absolutely. Do I have student loan debt? <laughs> um, like most Americans, uh, I believe that education and higher education is one of the best tools we can use to lift ourselves out of poverty and lift ourselves into the middle class. Uh, at the advice of my mother, uh, I went to college as I was supposed to do. We had a family plan and I borrowed the amount that I could afford to pay back, which over the course of my education amounted to about $20,000. Mm -hmm. um, I currently, uh, 20 years later, owe $50,000. And there's a variety of reasons for that. Uh, there is, uh, I defaulted um, the interest rate um, being placed in forbearance and deferments uh, when I should have been, I was placed in forbearance when I should have been in deferment. Mm -hmm. um, and I shared that I felt embarrassed for so long as being a first-generation college student, uh, being the first in my family to go to college and model this to my younger siblings, uh, that my loans had gotten so out of control. Why? Why hasn't it been easy to be open about your debt? I think we learn uh, this notion of personal responsibility and how we are personally responsible for the debt that we acquire, uh, especially when we're talking about student loan debt. But the part that I learned a decade after college graduation, is that there are actually policies in place that created this problem for me. It wasn't my own lack of planning. It, it was systemic. And this was accrued by you tr going to a California school, right? Kristen? Absolutely. I went to a California public school. Uh, I received uh, Pell Grants. Um, I did everything I was told to do to keep my debt at a minimum. Um, I, I lived in California, so I'm going to a California public school, of course, I had in-state tuition. So when you look at the checklist of all the things you do to keep your debt low, I did those things. Mm. And I still have $50,000 in debt uh, when I only borrowed twenty. So then talk about some of the systemic forces that you have identified now that help you understand why you're in the situation that you're in. Absolutely. So data now shows that black women carry the majority of debt in our country. I am a black woman, so we may check that box. Also, uh, when we look at how loans are serviced, uh, borrowers actually aren't taught how to re-enter repayment. So when you have young adults graduating college, knowing uh, just generally that we have six months after graduation to start paying your loans, but we weren't educated about income-based repayment. I've worked for nonprofits my entire career, and I didn't learn about public service loan forgiveness until 10 years after working in the nonprofit sector. That became law of the land in 2007, and out of all of the times that I contacted my loan servicer, no one ever told me about the program. Mm. Those types of institutional failures are the failures that have created this student debt crisis. 
So talk to me a little bit about what it's been like on this pause. And if you see your student debt now as worth it. So I'll always see my education as worth it. Hmm. I'm at the point now where I feel like my story can be used to ensure that this doesn't happen to young people who are trying to go to college and change their lives and the lives of their families. I think it's ridiculous that the government continues to profit off of student borrowers. I think what we can level on is people have the general expectation to pay back what they borrowed. But by no means should the government and student loan servicers gain $30,000 off of my loan. I want to bring Danielle Douglas-Gabriel into the conversation. Danielle Douglas-Gabriel is a reporter covering the economics of education for The Washington Post. Danielle, thanks so much for being with us. Thanks for having me. And you've just been listening to Kristen's experience, and you've reported yourself on what the student loan payment pause has meant, and especially actually to Black women. Can you just talk about her experience and your reporting and where you see the intersection? Sure. Her experience aligns with a lot of the borrowers that I have interviewed over the last few months uh, talking about their own uh, debt burdens. It also aligns with my own. It took me 18 years to pay off my student loans, hmm. and I just had undergrad loans, and I borrowed 50000 um, a combination of federal as well as private. And much like her and much like many of the women I have interviewed, I was not aware at any point about what options were available to lower my debt burden, to avoid having to have uh, compounding interest accruing on my loans when I had to had couldn't afford payments and such. And I, I think that's a common part of the narrative uh, that we are hearing from a lot of women, a lot of black women uh, and also have had to or feel there is a need to pursue advanced degrees, right, in order to be competitive in a labor market that is still very much discriminatory in terms of their, uh, their ability to advance uh, against similarly situated, similarly experienced white men with less education. So that was a common theme I heard over the last couple of months about why these women felt the need to pursue graduate degrees and how that in particular really tanked them in their ability to pay back the debt that they borrowed. Well, Jen writes, I'm a 46-year-old single black queer woman who lives in Oakland with a six-figure salary. However, even with that salary, the debt of student loans has an impact on my ability to save. I'm the first in my family to have a BA and a graduate degree. However, both of these degrees came with student loans. I come from a working poor family, and there was no expectation of attending college. With that also came no information passed down from my family about how to afford college, or for that matter, having someone pay tuition for me. Student loans combined with the legacy of not having inherited wealth has a deep impact on me and my ability to create or generate a retirement nest egg in the form of home buying. Danielle Jen is also illuminating some of the things that you talked about. And I was struck just by reading your reporting that the majority of debt is held by women, Black women we've talked about a little bit. But can you talk a little bit more about the demographic breakdown of who has student debt in the U.S.? It's quite complex. Yeah. Certainly. So uh, two of the fastest groups that are growing, fastest growing groups of folks with debt are definitely black borrowers, period, um, black women in particular. Also, um, people over over 50. Uh, there are a lot of people who decided to go back to school in order to sharpen their skills to make themselves more competitive in the labor market, especially after the Great Recession. There are also a lot of uh, adults who have borrowed for their children's education and have parent plus loans. 
So with those two um, factors for folks over 50 and such, they are taking on a tremendous amount of debt at a faster rate than a lot of younger folks. Uh, the thing, One of the things that's really striking is that undergraduate borrowing has actually been on a decline. Uh, for the last several years, undergraduate borrowing is down while graduate debt is what's really driving this uh, student explosion in student loans. And that's also been driving some of the pushback against debt cancellation, saying that people who are pursuing graduate degrees are, are people who are going to make more money or who are making more money now who have the debt because they are in better paying jobs. Certainly. But I do find, at least in my reporting, that it's a lot more complicated and nuanced than that. A lot of the women that I spoke with were in um, in social work. They were teachers. A lot of states require teachers to continue to get um, advanced credits in order to increase their salary, in order to make themselves more competitive. So it wasn't that everyone that had a graduate degree was earning six figures. And even those who did, that wasn't necessarily a proxy of their wealth. And I think that's an important part to to, to pay attention to. A lot of women I spoke with, particularly black women I spoke with, had a lot of pulls on their money, right? So they were earning what they considered to be good salaries, but also had family responsibilities to help out with other relatives who weren't doing as well. They had no savings. They had no real material wealth that would allow them to tap uh, if things were to get bad. And I think that's an important part of the conversation when folks think about how people are able to manage their student loans. Well, Kimberly writes, my student loans are $175,000. They are always in the back of my mind. I feel like I'm playing a game, waiting for another pushback for the date for repayments to begin. And of course, Kimberly's talking there, Danielle, about the fact that um, President Biden, but it began under President Trump, hit the pause on repayments of student loans federal student loans, and also on the interest that would accrue. Could you just talk a little bit about where we are right now, how, how often that happened and where we are with the next one? Sure. So student loans are supposed to go back into repayment at the end of August this year. The White House has said that there may not be any more extensions. However, there is good intel that there may be an announcement of some form of student debt forgiveness by that time. Mm. Um, but what we have seen thus far is President Trump, I think, extended it twice. The President uh, Biden has extended the extension four times at this stage. So there have been people who have not had to make a payment for more than two years. Well, we'll get into what President Biden might be thinking after the break. This is Forum. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Tomorrow marks one year since a gunman opened fire at a transit agency in San Jose, killing nine people and leaving in its wake horror, grief, and heartbreak. 
Tomorrow, as we acknowledge the victims of our nation's unending mass shootings, we also acknowledge the toll on those who survived them. So how has our nation's gun violence epidemic affected you? I know that when news broke of the mass killing at Robb Elementary in Uvalde, Texas, all I wanted to do was pick up my kids from school and hold them close. So how are you doing? You can tell us ahead of the show by leaving a voicemail at 415-553-3300, 415-553-3300. You can email us, forum at kqed.org. Today, we're talking about the nation's student loan debt crisis and hearing your stories with Kristen McGuire, Executive Director of Young Invincibles, and Daniel Douglas Gabriel. Danielle Douglas Gabriel, reporter covering economics of education for The Washington Post. And you, our listeners, are joining the conversation telling us how student loans have affected your life or if you think you'd be doing something differently if you didn't have education debt. You can email your comments to forum at kqed.org. Find us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at KQED Forum. You can give us a call, 866-733-6786, 866-733-6786. And uh, Danielle, before the break, we were talking about what you have some intel potentially on what President Biden might be thinking about as there has been some talk that he will be making an announcement soon related to student debt. What are you hearing? Yes. So, you know, our sources have told us that President Biden is uh, pretty close to making an announcement about some form of cancellation. And right now, the president has been pretty firm on $10,000 of debt cancellation on the campaign trail as well as after. Certainly, Democrats within his party, particularly Senator Schumer, uh, Warren, uh, Congresswoman Presley, have all really pressed him for $50,000 of forgiveness, in part because $50,000 would definitely wipe out the balances of at least 95% of federal student loan borrowers. 10000 however, would address, would clear the debt of about a third of borrowers and probably cut in half the debt of about another 20% of borrowers. So a little more than half of people owe less than $20,000 in federal student loans. Uh, Right now, to our understanding, the White House is still sticking firm to income uh, caps, income Mm. limits. And for individuals, about $150,000. For couples, about $300,000. Now, being able to do means testing is a very tricky thing. The education and treasury departments do not readily share borrower data, uh, tax data, that is. And there are all sorts of agreements in place that kind of create firewalls. So that would be difficult that way. Plus, lots of low-income uh, borrowers do not file taxes. So it would be difficult to catch them that how. But the other issue is the uh, administration is considering letting borrowers apply and just certify their income but how would they verify that? And that could also create problems. So there's no elegant, uh, efficient solution right now to being able to pull off this policy. To pull off a means-tested policy. Means-tested, yeah. yeah. Kristen, how do you feel about means-tested student loan forgiveness or student loan cancellation? Sure. And I wanted to add to what Danielle said. When we think about $10,000 in debt relief, uh, an example of what this looks like in the Black community is that 83% of Black borrowers will still owe more money than we initially borrowed. So when we think of student debt as um, a racial justice issue, this still doesn't get us to where we need to be. Uh, When we think about means testing, I think first and foremost, when we're thinking about it in a practical matter, um, as Danielle alluded to, there's actually no real process in place for us to be able to instantly cancel debt if we have means testing in place. This is regressive policy that would 
and essentially make the people who need to help need the help have to apply for the help when in fact the government knows that there is a crisis and the government knows that cancellation is the way to resolve it. Mm. Well, Danielle, what do you hear as the arguments, the main arguments for means-tested student loan forgiveness? I believe the White House does not want the perception that it is helping wealthy graduates with uh, Ivy League degrees and uh, with six-figure incomes. And so this idea of limiting it to a certain income and capping it at a certain percentage or or a certain amount certainly tries to address that. But at least by one estimate, 97% of federal student loan borrowers would still be covered by the income cap. So I don't know if it necessarily really will mollify the the critics of this policy to to get them on board. But what I, I am pretty certain is it will likely incense many activists who have been fighting for a lot more debt cancellation. Hmm. Well, this listener tweets, having 10,000 of my non-student debt forgiven would improve my life, too. Student debt isn't the only kind of debt. Forgiving it would betray everyone who pays back what they owe, pay back your student loan or forfeit the credential. Gary writes, student loan forgiveness and cancellation is an affront to the families who scrimped and saved and to the students who opted for community college and or worked their way through college. My tax dollars should not go to fund unwise students who cannot pay back their student debt. It is simply common sense not to borrow more than one to two years of your anticipated salary after graduation. I would support a program where the government would pay the interest on the loan for a period of up to 15 years, leaving the student to pay the principal in its entirety. What Gary and the listener before Gary was expressing is something you're probably familiar with, right, Kristen? It sounds like it got to the heart of some of your unease about even being open about your debt. Absolutely. It's the notion of personal responsibility. And the message that I'm carrying and the many women that Danielle interviewed is we actually did that um, and the, the system doesn't work for us. And so for those reasons, I would I would always counter the arguments uh, as Americans. We decided that banks were too big to fail. Uh, our automotive industry was too big to fail. And I would like to counter that Americans, American college students are also too big to fail. If we have a president who wants to strengthen our middle class, strengthen our workforce, make sure we have great jobs in America, then we need to support the people who are going to receive those education and that degree so that we can do that. Well, let me go to some calls. Adam in Oakland. Hi, Adam. Go ahead. Hi. Uh, yeah, my uh, I have over $40,000 in private student loans. So like the federal forgiveness wouldn't even affect my my loans. But I still think that that's something that should happen. Like the for for people to be like, well, I scrimped and saved and like and, and no one else should get any help that I didn't get. Like that's that's not the that's not the look. That's the wrong look. Um well, Adam, thanks. And, and yeah. yes, that is the distinction, right? People like Adam, Danielle, will not get student loans canceled. This is federal student loans. Correct. Let me go to caller Neil next and thank Adam for the call. Neil, go ahead. You're on. Yeah. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but if memory serves, weren't there interest-free loans in the late 70s and early uh, 80s? Uh, who decided to change this policy and when? Mm. Uh, Neil, thanks for that. You know, it's reminding me of this listener comment as well. Danielle Winston writes, my student loans are zero. When I went to UC Berkeley, there wasn't any tuition. Fees mainly for health were $100 per quarter. So have there been both, you know, policy and cultural shifts with regard to how we view basically a higher education? 
And it's gone. Yes, yes, definitely. I mean, certainly there were zero interest loans back in the 70s and 80s, and that um, was done away with because it was extremely popular when they, to, when folks were taking advantage of it. And then there was also definitely a cultural shift. I think California certainly saw it when uh, then Governor Reagan uh, decided that he wanted to uh, draw back the, the level of state support that California had always afforded to its UC uh, system. And I think some of that had to do with this idea and this notion that still exists that colleges are these liberal, is is a bastion of liberalism and it's indoctrinating our kids and I don't want to have to use my taxpayer dollars to fund these hippies and such. And while perhaps the language has changed, the sentiment really kind of hasn't. And I think we've seen that in some of the state appropriations for public institutions. This shift from college as a societal good to college as an individual good and college as purely an economic good really made it easier for state and federal lawmakers to decide that they did not have to support higher education at the same level. And I think we are seeing the effects of that. I think one of the things that often is missing in conversations about student debt is college costs. I mean, college costs, tuition, room and board have skyrocketed over a couple of generations. When you hear people talk about how they were able to work their way through college, well, that was a very different environment than what students are currently facing. Many of the borrowers I spoke with went to public schools. Many started at community colleges and still wound up with debt. I want to bring Jonathan Herrera into the conversation right now because I think you're alluding to some of the experiences that Jonathan had. Jonathan is class of 2020 graduate of Santa Clara University and education commissioner for the city of Bell Gardens. Jonathan, thanks so much for joining us. Hi, uh, thank you so much for having me here. So I understand you received a full ride to Santa Clara, but still had to take out $10,000 in student loans. Why? Yes, that is correct. And I think this is something that's not talked about enough. You know, I did, and I'm fortunate enough to have a full ride, but, you know, there's this whole idea that isn't talked about that I still have to pay for, you know, if not my dorm, if I have to pay for all of my books, all of my food, all of my just household, you know, all of the things that I need on an everyday to survive, I was not able to receive any uh, financial assistance from my family. I'm first gen, I'm a person of color. We don't have any wealth. And so, you know, I still had to, t- to take out loans in order to survive every day, whether it's for food, for books, you know, for housing, you know, just all of these things that aren't talked about. How did those costs, the loans you need to take to pay for them, influence your decision for the work you pursue pursued post-graduation, Jonathan? Yeah, of course. So I've always dreamed, and it's still, you know, my own dream to work in policy, to work in uh, politics, but I had to transition into a tech-focused role because that's the only way I will be able to, one, pay back all of my debt, but to be able to create wealth for my family, to buy my own mama house in order to move forward and pass that down so that we're able to break this cycle of poverty that many people in my, you know, in 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 my own place, you know, are currently facing. And so, you haven't had to make payments on your loans yet, but how are you approaching it in your financial planning? Yeah. So I have not yet made any payments, but it's something I think about every day. I'm saving money every day 
but it's either, you know, if I don't have to make any payments for what I owe, I can possibly put down a down payment for a house. But if I don't, then it's something else that I have to keep on, you know, saving for to reach because it's something that we once again, as a person of color, we were already held back once from, you know, attaining higher education. And now we have to work even harder to get to the same level as other people who, you know, are able to kind of, you know, not have to worry about the extra debt, you know, or, or having to create this wealth for their family and their own future. And so, you know, it's something that I, you know, have to think about, you know, it's either I save for this, you know, to pay back all of my debt, which I have, or, you know, put that into a house. And so, yeah. Yeah. Well, I, well, I think, and, and correct me if I'm misinterpreting here, but you're also highlighting what I think a lot of people of color hear, especially from their parents, that if you want to get, <laughs> if you want to get far, you have to get more degrees um, than the average person because you are a person of color yes. to be taken seriously. Yes, Jonathan, go yes. ahead. 100%. Um, you know, I think it's unfair that in today's age, in order for us to be taken seriously, we have to pursue more than just a BA. You know what I mean? And so it's unfair that in order to be, you know, taken like serious in regards of any kind of job that we have, you know, we have to achieve higher and we have to work 10 times as harder, you know, and it's something that we do every day, but it's something that is, you know, a fact of the world we are in. Well, Jonathan, I really appreciate you coming on and sharing your experience with us. Of course. Thank you for having me. Jonathan Herrera, class of 2020, graduate of Santa Clara University. We're talking about the national student loan debt crisis. And if you want to join the conversation with how student loans have affected your life, your thoughts about debt cancellation, and also if in some way you would have done something differently if you didn't have the education debt, as Jonathan just described, you can tell us by emailing forum at kqed.org, finding us on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram at KQED Forum, or by calling us 866-733-6786. Danielle, in terms of stories of people who chose different paths as a result of having students loans. What have you heard? Well, I think it, it was funny. I was actually have been uh, interviewing a lot of borrowers lately who are in the Rust Belt and who started out in college. Some of them had dropped out because they were they felt they were amassing more debt than they could afford. And at the for the most part, many of them have maybe $10,000, $15,000 in, in student loans, still struggling to pay it back, but have chosen other fields in skilled trade in order to take advantage of a labor market where there's a lot of demand in their region. Most folks I spoke, I, I've spoken with don't regret their education. They regret the financial choices that they felt they were forced to make. And I, I think that, you know, one of the things that is a little nerve wracking is that the idea of the value of college and not just the economic, but the social value and the the, the kind of emotional value of college as well is sometimes lost in these conversations about the debt. Most folks that I've spoken with still feel like education, higher education was transformational in their lives, even if it has meant that it, it has made it difficult for them to repay their student loans. 
Okay, Kim writes, I would agree college tuition is too expensive and we need more assistance for students who choose the most affordable school for their budget or gain scholarships to more expensive schools. Responsibility needs to be considered. Paying off my student loan, but giving up discretionary spending, no cable TV, no expensive vacations, and no cell phone when everyone else had one. Everyone needs to come down to earth on what your true priorities are. Let me go to Rosalind in Simi Valley. Hi, Rosalind. Hi there. Um, I uh, have three kids, uh, two approaching college and one in. So I thought about this a lot and I I never hear, I guess this is a question for the experts you have and maybe a comment. When it comes to student loan forgiveness, I never hear the option of, you know, let's just get rid of the fees and interest that have been tacked on and people pay back what they borrow with maybe credit for payments they've already made. And Mm -hmm. I think that this would quiet a lot of the people talking about personal responsibility and et cetera, et cetera, and kind of address some of these wild um, amounts that people have to deal with and pay more than they borrowed. Thank you. I I appreciate that. And I wanted to ask uh, Kristen, what do you think? Uh, If you had to pay back the principal and not the interest, as Rosalind is saying, is that enough? So I will answer this question in two ways. For me, Kristen, yes, that would be enough. Uh, But for the millions of borrowers across America, no, that's not enough. uh, Because there are, again, there are problems with the system. We've We've loaned money to people who had, they did not receive information on how to repay. And I think if this was any other industry, the courts would strike these loans down. Uh, because it's a a government-backed student loan that has not happened. But we've seen time and time again, um, these uh, for-profit college institutions have scammed, uh, they have closed down, they have left uh, veterans, including my husband, uh, with $50,000 of loans and no degrees. Uh, People should not be responsible for any of that. And again, when we make the people who are harmed apply for the forgiveness that they are due, we continuously put those barriers in place. So if we're talking about my personal situation, would I would I just pay back the 20000 and be done? Absolutely. But I think we have to look at this as a larger problem in our country, what we've done to all of these borrowers. Well, the listener writes, my student loans are not getting paid. I'm a single mom. I'm currently employed, but I can't even afford to rent an apartment on my own with the salary I'm being paid. My daughter and I are renting a small bedroom at a relative's home. We're talking about how student loans are affecting your life or have affected your life. We're talking with Kristen McGuire, executive director of Young Invincibles, and Danielle Douglas-Gabriel, a reporter covering economics of education. And you can join the conversation. Post your thoughts on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Email us, forum at kqed.org. Stay with us. I'm Mina Kim. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. 
Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Hi, my name is Mariah. I am 25 years old and I live in Redding, California. I ended up getting about $40,000 in school debt. I accrued that debt and it just took a toll on, on me emotionally because I couldn't keep up with all of the bills that I had. Um, and as a young adult, you're still, you figure out you know, your rhythm in life and you figure out how you can pay for these bills and how you can't pay for these bills. Um, and my school debt has just, it put a damper on a lot of things. There was times where I couldn't eat because I had to make sure that my school loan was paid for instead of food in my house. Um, there was multiple times where I would have to, skip out on my school loan because I just couldn't afford it. And half the time it was either one bill or another bill. Um, I was really glad when the, the student debt relief program came out and they stopped school loans due to COVID. Um, it really helped out my household because I was able to afford certain things that I wasn't able to afford. Um, then I now have a a two year old in my home and we all know how expensive babies are. And with a school loan on top of, you know, all your day-to-day life expenses that you have to pay for in order to survive in the world, it's, it takes a toll on somebody and it's really taxing. Um, so being able to know that I didn't have to worry about that and I could focus on getting diapers for my son or just food and or anything that he needed was a a big relief for me. That story was from Mariah in Reading, who left a voicemail ahead of the show. We're talking about student loan debt and America's collective student loan debt totals more than one and a half trillion dollars higher than the nation's collective credit card debt. President Biden is weighing proposals to cancel some of that debt. And we're talking about that and the experience of carrying debt. And in particular, we're hearing Mariah's experience of the payment pause during the pandemic and the effect it had on Mariah. You can join us by calling 866-733-6786 or posting your thoughts online. Sean in Oakland. Hi, Sean. Thanks for waiting. Go ahead. Yeah, hi. Hey, I just wanted to uh, point out that some of us make the choice not to go to college so that a sibling or someone else in our family can go to college. And the fact that we have to make those choices just doesn't seem right at all. What is the system doing? Sean, thanks for sharing that. I mean, in Sean's case, I guess in some ways, the cost overall, Danielle, affected his choice and to enable his sibling to go. One of the things I hear a lot uh, is that student loan cancellation is not going to get at the bigger underlying issues that have caused this kind of skyrocketing debt. What do you hear along those lines in terms of arguments against it? 
the same things that uh, this does nothing to address what is in many estimations a broken system, a broken repayment system, an overly complex uh, lending system, as well as, again, the college costs, right, and state appropriations for public institutions that would allow for them to drive down tuition. But I will say this, the conversations about student debt forgiveness, I think, is really forcing colleges in part to really think about how they price their education. And certainly it's a very complex system, but we're seeing more schools consider no loan policies, trying to do more fundraising so that they could offer institutional aid and looking for other ways to drive down the costs of delivery of education so that you don't have another generation saddled with this level of debt. You are seeing more states try to increase appropriations, yet still not at the level that we saw prior to the Great Recession. But I do feel like these conversations about debt cancellation, even if for folks who don't agree with the policy, it is forcing them to reckon with the reality of what uh, generations of, of kind of state disinvestment and general federal disinvestment in higher education has meant to a generation of borrowers. Well, Shadari tweets, I graduated in 2007 and still owe more than $100,000. I'm a member of the lawsuit Sweet versus Cardona and trying to stay hopeful that we'll, we will not be forgotten. For 10 plus years, I put my life on hold. I focused on budgeting so fiercely that I started to suffer panic attacks. I pushed myself to work three jobs to make sure I made every payment on time because, you know, owning a home is the American dream. Can't have a poor credit score. And JB writes, I've been under the burden of student loan debt for about 15 years. My original loan amount was 50000 It is now over 100000 I wasn't thinking of the amount of money I would eventually have to pay back. I was naive and just wanted an education. Right now, I'm not paying anything because I lost hope in our system. I just don't care anymore. I don't want to be part of it. I'm actually considering moving to another country. We shouldn't have this burden. Danielle, what are the economic arguments that you hear against student loan cancellation? especially right now in this time of high inflation and when the government is trying to tamp down sort of the heat of the market? Certainly increasing the the federal debt, that is one. Also that this is a regressive policy that by and large college graduates have fared very well during the pandemic, many of whom have kept their jobs, uh, even advanced and are making more money if we are going to uh, focus limited resources on helping any group, this would not be the one. Those are very popular arguments. And of course, also the fairness issue of folks who did not go to college, as well as folks who already paid off their loans, shouldn't have to foot the bill for folks who um, made other choices. Well, Tank writes, some of us became disabled while in repayment. Guess what? We're still on the hook for what we borrowed. In the meantime, many of us got sucked under by negative amortization, owing more each month, even as we pay on time. Because of this, I still owe about $160,000, despite having paid on time about $120,000 over the last 12 years. How does this sort of breakdown not need reform? Kristen, we didn't get into this earlier, but I understand that you have two kids. <laughs> I do. Um, and so can you talk a little bit about how you think about their higher education? Absolutely. And their college finances? Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll paint a picture. Uh, we go through our public education system here in California 
your high school classes are aligned with A through G criteria, uh, which is insinuating to our students they should go to college. We now have a FAFSA for all law, which means all 12th graders will also complete a FAFSA for financial aid, another indicator that they should go to college. We then send them to college and have the audacity to use a euphemism of starving student because we now don't believe that they have the right to eat. Through that, they still persevere, they graduate, and we're hearing stories where people are still saying they're choosing not to eat to pay the debt for the education that we encourage them to, to go get. In my, With my own children, um, I have a second year. She's finishing her second year at UCLA, um, and I am very proud of her, and we made a family decision that at minimum we were going to get through the first two years without student loan debt. Uh, we have been successful partially due to the fact that I haven't had to pay my own student loans or my husband's student loans. So the gap that she had to pay for food and those other basic needs were able to put into her account on a weekly basis. So when we think about what the payment pause has done for folks, it's allowing me to try to break that that uh, trend in my family of having to borrow um, like I said, I was the first in my family to go to college. I have a brother who is 18 months younger than I am, so he went the next year. And then my mom went to school. Uh, this will be, uh, my daughter will be the first person who has not had to borrow to go to college. Wow. Danielle, if President Biden does what you suspect, which is $10,000 and likely a mean-tested system, do you think that will be challenged? While it has been suggested that he could do this with, quote, the stroke of a pen, is that true? There will likely be legal challenges. Um, I think we are kind of seeing hints of that by a couple of uh, bills that have been introduced in the Senate to block uh, President Biden from taking any steps. While those bills will be unsuccessful, I don't. I imagine there will be others, particularly in the Republican Party, who will try to challenge this. Uh, so it is entirely possible. We could see this tied up in the courts for some time. But uh, it, I don't get the sense that that is deterring the administration from moving forward with their plans. But the political minefield, you mentioned Republicans here. What is the political minefield that Biden is potentially walking into here? Well, I want to be clear that it's not just Republicans. I think there are a lot of moderate Democrats yes. who are not vocal about their distaste for this policy. But behind closed doors, definitely don't think this is the best way for the country to move forward be, without addressing costs, without addressing the exceedingly complicated repayment system and uh, the lending system. So it's it's a political minefield in the sense that there is no one that is going to be satisfied by $10,000. Certainly activists as well as more liberal Democrats within the party have been pushing for more. And if they're not going to get it, I can't foresee that they're going to be satisfied. And those folks who continually say that this is aggressive policy and one that would not make any real meaningful effect in the lives of a vast majority of Americans will also not be satisfied by this. But the president has said that he is trying to keep his word. He is trying to uh, adhere to what he has always said, that 10000 seems like a reasonable amount to him. However, I don't think it's going to yield the kind of political capital that he may think it will. Danielle Douglas-Gabriel is a reporter covering the economics of education for The Washington Post. Kristen McGuire is ex executive director of Young Invincibles, a nonprofit dedicated to expanding economic opportunity for young adults. And we're talking about the national student loan debt crisis and hearing your stories. And you are listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Let me go next to Timothy. Hi, Timothy in San, in San Francisco. 
Hi there. Thank you for this program. Thank is such so important. I really quick vignette. I um, took out a one thousand five hundred dollar loan in like this my last semester at UMaine Orono, and um, and 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 I I I went into default or I I didn't make the payments. I don't know what the hell happened to it. Now it's an eight thousand five hundred government, and and the university has. Um, they seized my transcripts when I apply for like a teaching job. I need them to forward the transcript from the university. They won't do it because my my loan for one thousand five hundred is up is in default. And, and I was like, come on! And this it's just so retarded. Well, Timothy, I'm sorry to hear that. That's your experience. We have another listener who writes. Uh, student loans have prevented me from going back to school to fulfill lifelong dreams, giving me loan rates that contributed to me being a victim of the 2008 recession and getting jobs for which I'm qualified, but my credit score is low. This other listener writes, I went to community college and finished my degree at a cheap state school. I paid off my loans, but I support student debt forgiveness. And in fact, I support forgiving all of it because the entire system of financing higher education with personal debt is a scam. Let me go to David in Richmond. Hi, David. Hello. I was wondering if uh, you had considered allowing uh, student loans uh, to to um, be be uh, allowed to declare bankruptcy. That borrowers of student loans be allowed to consider um, to take bankruptcy, just like other ordinary loans. Mm, bankruptcy, Danielle. Yes, actually, prior to I think the '90s, uh, you could declare uh, you could include student loans in bankruptcy. However, that changed in part. Uh, then Senator Biden had uh, promoted that particular change in uh, the bankruptcy code. There has been a push ever since to change those laws, uh, at least to get the Education Department to change its policy for when it'll try to fight folks who try to declare. Um, their student loans as a part of their bankruptcy. To be to be clear, you can uh, discharge your loans in bankruptcy, your federal student loans and private ones. It is just exceedingly difficult to do it, to get a court to approve it. And there are efforts underway to try to change that, but they have not been successful in the last several years. So it's really difficult to say whether they will make any headway in the coming years. Again, we asked listeners ahead of the show to complete the sentence, my student loans are, and some of the answers we got, my student loans are the only real monkey on my back. Another listener writes, my student loans are paralyzing. Another, my student loans are my responsibility. A listener asked, shouldn't this be on colleges and universities to lower their costs instead of on the government? And Tilda tweets, our government doesn't do enough, and this is just part of it. Why is it an individual responsibility to bear the extraordinary costs of basic public goods like education and health care, an individual responsibility that falls disproportionately on people with less? It's rigged. Kristen, we we have so many graduations happening right now, and I know that you are executive director of Young Invincibles, which gives advice to young adults and try to expand their economic opportunities. What advice do you have for people graduating college who are thinking about taking on debt for higher degrees, or even people graduating high school thinking of taking out student loans? 
Um, first of all, I would say congratulations. Uh, gradu- <laughs> graduating high school, graduating college, and taking that next step in your life is fantastic. Um, and what I always say is never let uh, the cost of college deter you from going to get your education. Uh, what we can do is look for other sources, only borrow as much as you personally believe you can afford to pay back. Again, in situations like mine where I did just that, I think it's just continuous indicators of how broken the system is, like the last commenter said. But I don't ever want it to be a reason why people would not go and uh, receive higher education. Mm. Um, The advice that I give people uh, always is live within your means. And I want to be very clear. I do not believe that live within your means in college means you have to be a starving student. I do not believe it means that you should be a 19-year-old undergraduate working 45 hours a week to try to afford your education. I do believe our government can do more to ensure that the people who do everything we tell them to do are able to take part and participate in higher education. Well, I'm glad you said congratulations, because Michael tweets, many students don't graduate, and not in four years, or don't graduate at all. If they knew in advance their probability of graduating in four years, they might plan their lives differently. And Danielle, that really is part of the nuance that you were talking about before, that there are people who take on all that debt and then don't get the benefit of a degree in terms of their future earnings. Definitely. There, uh, by some estimates, there are nearly 40 percent of people with student loans uh, did not graduate and get a degree. And so they're not yielding the economic benefits of that credential. And that's part of the reason why I think we saw a concentration of delinquencies as well as defaults on student loans pre-pandemic, that is, because we don't have the more recent data. But we saw a concentration among folks who had small dollar balances, often an indicator that that person dropped out after their first or second year in college. I think it's also important to, to acknowledge that because colleges do play a role in this, uh, I, I have noticed more schools looking at their credit requirements, right? Not making sure that they are not requiring more credits that keep students in for five years or six years and making sure classes are available so folks don't have to wait for the next semester to get their the class that they need in order to graduate. All these little things contribute to why people have to stay longer, have to borrow. And it's, it's really... It, uh, the onus is on schools as well as as states and all the other actors in this to pay attention to what can create this problem and how to start to blunt it and and head it off before we have another generation with this much debt. Absolutely, and um, that forty percent the forty percent number also uh, excludes parents who don't have degrees but have taken on debt to pay for their their children to go to college. So even that forty percent number, we don't have all of the information to show the the clearest picture of how the student debt crisis is impacting families. Kristen McGuire, Executive Director of Young Invincibles, thank you. Thank you. Danielle Douglas-Gabriel, reporter covering the economics of education for the Washington Post, thank you as well. Thank you so much for having me. And my thanks to Jonathan Herrera, who uh, called in earlier with his experience. You have been listening to Forum. Thank you for sharing your stories, listeners. Thank you, Caroline Smith, for producing today's segment. And as always, thank you for listening. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim.
Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio, the Germanicos Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.